Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So this week I've got Tim Estelle on. Tim is somebody that I've wanted to get on for quite a while, but he, you know, I've got certain people that I guess I put in my back pocket as far as uh, wanting to get on the podcast that I feel like are just no doubters. Like they're going to say, heck yeah, let's do it. And I don't know if Tim is that guy. I don't know if anybody is that guy but or girl, but uh, uh, I just assumed Tim would be. So when I reached out to Tim and said, hey, uh, you drew the short straw, buddy, uh, he was super happy to oblige and came on and then I completely embarrassed myself and I had technical difficulties <laughs> for some reason and I still don't know what it was because the next day I put a couple of interviews in the can and everything was fine and normal and working normal but uh, Tim's uh, the, between the two of us the connection wasn't working for zoom on my computer and I couldn't hear what he was saying he could hear everything what I was saying and from what I saw from this lighting guy's world, all of my sound equipment was doing everything it was supposed to do. And, uh, so anyway, this one sounds a little funky because I ended up recording him. Uh, I, re- I just recorded the Zoom, as many of us are accustomed to now. I just recorded our Zoom conversation, so it sounds like I'm in a can of some sort. And uh, he sounds great, and that's about all I can tell you. So I apologize for the audio. It's really not that bad, but... For someone like me who does this kind of stuff for a living and prides himself on good tech, this one sucked as far as that is concerned. However, the interview itself was amazing. Tim is just an extremely well-spoken person. He should, in his next life outside of education, I don't think there will be a life outside of education once you get to talk to him and and get to know him you're going to realize education is his life and so anyway but if there is a a next life tim would be just a great orator or right not not an oracle that'd be something different but an orator he would just be really good at that stuff so i really enjoyed talking to him didn't have lots of us and ums and all that kind of stuff which i'm very guilty of but he was just really well spoken and none of these questions that i ever ask uh these people with the exception of a couple of interviews of some people uh, that I've had on in the past, uh, none of the questions are predetermined really, except for the very first one, uh, which is just tell me about your background. And so when I have my guests on, their answers are as spontaneous as my questions most of the time. Again, I've had a couple of people on here that have kind of not necessarily insisted that I prep them with some questions, but just felt more comfortable if I did, and that's hard because <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm an organic son of a gun. I'm a improviser, and uh, you know it is what it is. So there are a couple things I needed to talk about, uh, and I know this podcast isn't a complaint podcast, and that's how it actually started. And my wife said, "Don't do that. <clears throat> that's not a complaint." But uh, and and thankfully, it is not a complaint podcast. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't be into 130 plus episodes. But Uh, I have two things I want to talk about, and uh, they might be sensitive topics, whatever, I don't care, but it's my podcast, it's called Minor Wisdom for a reason. Uh, One is the mask issue, and here's the thing, whether whether you want to mask or not, and I know I've talked about this, this one particular story is the reason why this country right now is so odd, 
to me and I'm not again not nothing political or anything it's just a matter of mindset right now about how people are uh, thinking and so this quick little story I went to my daughter's school as uh, as I record this today it was today it was for lunch and I went to her school to drop off a cake and some lunch a small cake a nothing bunt cake which BT dubs are delicious anyway um, and you can tell a lot of people buy red velvet because they had double the red velvet compared to anything else. But anyway, uh, the I went to her school and uh, her district that she's in starts with a K and ends with a line. Uh, she their district is extremely anti-mask, not anti-mask, but pro-choice, I guess, if you will which is ironic. Um, and so they are pro-choice when it comes to masks, pro-choice when it comes to masks, not, not anything else. Um, and so they, uh, nobody wears a mask. None of the teachers, none of the people that work there, no, nobody, no faculty, no staff, no, 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 nobody. My daughter does because her parents are smart. Um, and so, um, I go there and I'm in line and I'm behind these two people that have clearly been there before. Nobody's wearing a mask except for me. And, uh, I'm in line behind these two people and they, uh, um, say to the woman in the office, like, wow, you're really, you're, are you all by yourself today? And she goes, yeah, again, no mask. She goes, yeah, there, there are 10 people out this week, 10. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't even understand why uh, all these people are getting sick. <sighs> and I, I really, I, oh man. Uh, yeah. So side note to that, I'm, I'm tight with my super or former superintendent, uh, Dr. Dupree, and uh, texted him a couple days ago that I'm becoming the parent that he probably used to hate because I've emailed the superintendent of said district a couple of times uh, to just kind of ask a question. I was being, I wasn't accusing anything, but anyone of anything. But uh, anyway, so uh, he, he asked me if I constantly have an internal monologue. And I said, it's not as internal as it used to be anymore, because I wear a mask all the time. And nobody can see my mouth moving. And he said, Are you serious? And I said, Yes. I think that's true for a lot of people. Like right now, part of why I love wearing a mask is because I, I can talk some shit about people and you uh, don't know uh, because you don't see my mouth moving. So, anyway, the other thing I was going to mention is um, so, yeah. So, I'm in a situation uh, this past week, or I was in a situation where. Um, I realize I came to the realization, I'm not going to get into too many details because it has to do with my current job, my J-O-B, which I hope to be my last job I ever have. But uh, th- I realized, I came to the realization that no matter how old you are, the world is becoming, uh, or, 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 or the people of the world are losing the ability to simply communicate and it's not we can't be these old fuddy duddies I'm almost 40 I can't be this guy that says you know back in my day we used to just talk to people instead of texting people like no I can't you can't do that anymore Uh, even even old people even like 60 which is like super old right anyway but like people that are these get off my lawn type people can't say you know we used to communicate all the time well I've noticed that there are quite a few people significantly older than me that have also lost the ability to communicate. And I'm not talking about like through an illness. I'm just talking about because they too are addicted to phones. And don't get me wrong. I love my phone. I look at my screen, but I'm also a hell of a communicator. I will talk and I'm a lot better at listening, but I like 
to communicate. I want to know if I can be of more service to you. I want to know how I can help you. I want you to know how you can help me. And I like to talk about it, whether it be through email or this thing right here. You can't see where I'm pointing at, but I'm pointing to my mouth. <laughs> you know, I actually did point to my mouth. I don't know why I'm not on video, but man, it's frustrating when you do as best you can to communicate with people. So I ask you this, um, maybe I do a new like segment, you know, I used to have a joke on here. Um, but maybe I do a new segment where we talk about like how to be better. Um, and we watched something at my school this past week talking about the 1% and it discussed the British, sorry, the, the, I think the English, the English cycling team, I want to say, I'm pretty sure the, the English cycling team and how they had a new coach come in in 2003, 2004 for the Tour de France. And they said that we're going to win this Tour de France within the next five years. And they ended up winning it in a shorter amount of time. There's a whole interview. This isn't breaking news or anything. There's a whole thing about it. But they ended up winning. And the way they did it is they fixed something one or changed something 1% at a time. And so we had a discussion. I had a discussion with my students, with my advisees about what is 1% of your day? And we figured out a few, you know, 17 hours a day if you're awake, let's say on average. Um, and uh, that's about 10 minutes a day, right? It's, it's about 10 minutes a day. If you took 10 minutes a day to improve yourself, do something positive, whatever you value, it doesn't have to be something somebody else values, it could be you, because um, one kid jokingly, this little smart-ass kid was like, well, I just go shoot hoops. And I was like, mm, yeah, okay, cool. That's exactly what I'm talking about. If you want to be better at basketball, if you value that, then go be better at basketball. Uh, another kid, I'll oh, play more video games. All right, cool, man. If you want to like be the best video game player, like you're not going to tell me like that's stupid. Like I play video games. So take 10 minutes to be better a day, 10 minutes to improve on something. And right now I'm asking you to take 10 minutes just to be a better communicator. The irony of that is I flubbed and I almost edited that out because I can't communicate. Thanks to you, stupid Candy Crush. All right, I've talked enough. Tim Estelle is up. Uh, thanks to those people that constantly listen. Uh, thanks to, you know, Billy uh, shot me a text this past week just to say <laughs> I have been listening. Um I hope everybody's in good health. I know there's some people out there that are struggling right now. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed the feedback that I've been getting from people, including the ones that I've been um, uh, 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 interviewing. Excuse me, communicate, Blake. Uh, I, I'm humbled and I appreciate it. Yes, there, there's no advertising on this podcast. There doesn't need to be. I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this because. I genuinely feel I've been put on this earth just to get to know you, and I love getting to know people. Uh, whether you find the interviews entertaining or not, I had a blast every time talking to these people and just getting to know them, and um, I appreciate all the support. So please uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, friend me on Facebook, which again, I, I know I say every week that seems to be the thing to do. And, uh, you know, find me on TikTok. I do a couple TikToks, you know. I had a fun one this past week with uh, Seggy from Straight No Chaser. Uh, I, I did not do the fun part. He ended up doing the fun comedy part, and it was really cool. But uh, anyway, enjoy this Tim Estelle interview. Tim, I apologize for the long opening. Bobby, I hope you listen to the whole thing. 
Um, have a good week. I hope everybody stays safe. Oh, and everybody that was affected by Nicholas. Damn you, Nicholas. Uh, can we leave Louisiana alone for a little bit? Like, t- we'll take a hurricane just for just once. I don't think it's going to happen because of this cold front coming through. But anyway, you know, anyway, hurricanes, let's leave Louisiana alone a little bit. Um, so, hope everybody has a great week. Uh, let's get through it. Uh, my daughter's birthday is tomorrow as I record this. She'll be nine. Holy go vault. All right, Tim, it's all you, buddy. My journey is kind of not uh, too terribly interesting. So uh, I got into this gig, uh, and by that I mean I got into theater as a sixth grade rotation student in uh, middle school. Uh, I had just moved to Texas uh, as a fifth grader. So like the concept of just being in a much larger state, having come from upstate New York was kind of overwhelming. Uh, And so uh, I didn't really know where I fit in as far as what I was supposed to do in school. And so when I got to middle school, uh, which that in of itself was a new concept for me, um, I was like, well, I got to take something. And even back in when that was, you know, a fine arts credit at the middle school was still a requirement. And so I did the rotation or what some people call the wheel. And I had a really dynamic Uh, theater teacher as a sixth grader who just captivated me. Uh, He was uh, uh, engaging, he was uh, caring, he was uh, smart, uh, and just had a lot of characteristics and qualities that I as just a young person was just really fascinated by. And so uh, I remember after I got through that rotation, because it was about 12 weeks, I think is what it normally is, and uh, I moved into, it was either visual art or I think choir. Uh, and it was just always in the back of my mind, like, hey, I kind of I kind of liked that thing. Like we did some fun projects. And so uh, that being said, uh, when I got to the choir part, I, I kind of liked that too. And it wasn't really something that I'd ever really thought about doing. And so moving into, uh, I picked up and stuck with choir and even into the eighth grade as a part of the the men's choir, as they they used to call it. Now it's the uh, treble bass choir, which is much more appropriate. And uh, being in there, there was just something missing. And so I was talking to my mom and she's like, well, you know, why don't you try out for a play or something like that? And of course, you know, when parents say that, you're like, I'm not going to do that. What does that even mean? And, And so she went and grabbed her high school yearbook and showed me a photo. She's like, look, I did theater when I was, when I was uh, around your age. And that was like, you know, it's like, oh, Wasad, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess I can do this. If you can do it, I can do it, right? And it's really inspiring. And so uh, I tried out for my first play as an eighth grader and it was the Three Musketeers. And uh, I don't even remember what two roles I was given. I just know I had like one or two lines on stage. And I absolutely shouted every single line that came out of my mouth. There was no uh, variety in anything that I was saying. There was no different levels. It was just pure, unadulterated shouting. Uh, But it just felt really good. And so from there, I knew that that was my thing, even though I wasn't in a class. And so fast forwarding a little bit, I didn't take a formal theater class until I was in high school, uh, beyond that rotation I took as a sixth grader. And there was this weird hiatus in, in my, my kind of experience because I came from a military family. And so we moved quite a bit. And San Antonio, which is where uh, I spent most of my uh, childhood and, and teenage years, 
uh, was technically our last stop. That's where my dad officially retired. And uh, whenever you retire from kind of public service or the military and you go into the private sector, it can get a little tricky. And so uh, he took a job that took us all the way up north and we moved to Wisconsin. And so we went up there and I was really excited. I had had all this energy as an eighth grader about theater. And the first question I asked the counselor when we were sitting there trying to figure out, you know, what school was going to look like for me. I said, oh, I, I, I want to do theater. You know, where's the class? How do I sign up for that? And they're like, oh, we don't have that here. And it was just mind blowing because I'm like, well, that was always offered to me from sixth grade, whether I took it or not. And all of a sudden now I'm in a different state and it's not an option. And so uh, it became really clear to me that I needed to find a way to get into that somehow, even if it didn't exist. And so uh, that eighth grade year living in uh, outside of Madison, Wisconsin, I would ask my parents to take me to stuff that came into, because uh, the uh, University of Wisconsin's there, so they have a big performing arts venue and center. And so shows came, I would ask for them to take me to that. And that was kind of my way to still stay engaged. And then uh, about the end of that year, like the greatest news ever, not that Wisconsin's a bad place to live. I'm sure there's really great people who are from there who probably listen to this. And, and this isn't anything against that state or anyone there, but it just wasn't for me. And uh, the best news was my dad said, well, we're going we're gonna to move back to Texas. It's, it's not working for us. Uh, that was a better environment for us. So we got back as fast as we could. And I, I crawled into high school uh, and got back into theater and was very fortunate, again, to have some very dynamic uh, people that uh, I got to work with, both students and teachers. Uh, but Cami, uh, at that time, Cami Brown, uh, who was a new teacher and I was a, a new student in that, in that school and she basically became my theater mentor as our, our theater teacher there. And if it wasn't for her, I probably would not have become a theater educator. And I, I firmly believe that. Uh, I think I had a lot of people who helped me, groom me in different respects. Uh, for example, I was a PAL student and that was really important to me because there was that mentoring uh, component to it. So that kind of shaped a little bit of, of my lens, so to speak. Uh, but definitely she helped me get to the next step, which was to pursue theater. And I ended up going to Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches and uh, getting my undergraduate degree in performance. It was a BFA. And uh, that was a, a fantastic program to be a part of, not only because of uh, the the faculty of the university, uh, many of uh, whom are no longer there, uh, but a couple are. And uh, just the, the diversity of the student body and, and the different material that we were able to engage with was something that I had not ever thought would be something that I would be doing. Um, and it really took my understanding of what theater was to a completely different level, much not to say that what we did in middle school and high school wasn't you know, cerebral or anything like that, but obviously it's just, it, it, it's different, right? And so uh, having that opportunity to engage with the literature from that perspective really reinforced that I thought that that's something that I could do pretty much for the rest of my life. 
Um, even though I questioned it a few times, there was that moment where I think many of us probably had where I was like, uh, I think I'm just going to hang this up and like go be a doctor or something, right? Not that I had any business doing that, but I, I definitely had those moments uh, once or twice uh, throughout that experience. But uh, being able to attend that university uh, was really a blessing and a great opportunity. And what that did was two things, really. One, uh, it allowed me to pursue an internship to uh, work in the artistic office at the Arizona Theater Company in Tucson, Arizona, which is uh, a really fantastic Lort Theater uh, that works still today, uh, both in Tucson and in Phoenix. Um, but the second greatest thing that it did is it allowed me the opportunity to meet my future wife, who uh, after finishing the internship and, and hightailing it back to Texas, uh, uh, said yes when I said, hey, do you want to do this thing kind of for the rest of our lives? Uh, so uh, there's some really great things that came out in addition to the learning opportunities and the theatrical opportunities uh, that, that I had access to. And so from there, uh, I know I'm kind of jumping around really fast from different areas uh, of, of my, my development here, but uh, from there, I got an opportunity really last minute to start my teaching career. When I say last minute, I'm talking like 72 hours before kids walk through the door last minute. Like I got hired on a Friday and kids are coming through the door Monday morning. And uh, part of the reason why that happened that way is because I did not pursue education in my undergraduate degree. It was purely performance studies. Um, and so I did not add any education courses on uh, any of my work. And so of course, you know, in hindsight, anybody that's thinking about that as an option, I would always advise, hey, it's, it's always a good idea at least to have some of that uh, in your back pocket. Not to say that it's a fallback, but it actually can really help you as a theater practitioner as well. I firmly believe that. Um, and plus, uh, my dad was always saying, hey, you need to do that. And I'd always say, no. And of course, when dad says to do something, you tend not to do it. So there you go. Uh, and so he got the last laugh. Uh, I needed to find a way to become an educator. And so thankfully at that time, this was uh, during No Child Left Behind. And so emergency placement certificates were definitely a thing because there was a mass exodus of teachers and they needed to find highly qualified professionals in the classroom. And I just so happened to find like one of the last remaining gigs in uh, the greater Houston area and uh, Clear Creek ISD was kind enough to accept my resume through fax because that was, yes, also a thing. And uh, I sent it, I think, on a Wednesday. No, I take that back. I sent it on a Monday and I gave it a couple days. I had kind of a day job in San Antonio living with my parents and uh, I got real nervous and I'm so glad that at that young of an age, I guess I would, I was 21. I had to have been 22, 21 or 22. It doesn't matter. I was young. And I took the initiative to pick up the phone and call the school. And, you know, I'll get to maybe this in a second, because I think this is really important in what I do now. And that's uh, being able to take some risks. And so as a young person looking for my first opportunity uh, I decided to take that risk, pick up the phone, and assistant principal uh, took my call. And I explained, hey, this is who I am. I sent my resume over fax. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what it is that you're looking for, but I'd really like the opportunity to speak with you. 
And uh, this very kind, gentle soul said, okay, uh, let's talk. So we had a conversation and, and I don't know if they were desperate. <laughs> they likely were. Uh, but I hope I said a few things that convinced him uh, that despite that desperation, that I might have been a good fit. And so we finished the conversation and he said, okay, here's what I need you to do. Uh, I need you to, uh, you know, come on Friday. Uh, you're going to come down to League City, which is where the, the school district office is and where the campus was. And uh, you need to meet the principal. I said, okay, sounds great. So packed up, uh, not even a suitcase, I think it was a backpack, um, jumped in my car, drove down to uh, the campus and then nervously sat in my car waiting for a phone call thinking that, uh, well, I don't know how this works. Do I just walk into the school? Cause you know, at that time, teachers were obviously in the building, kids were not, but I don't know what that means. I have no idea what school looks like as a teacher. And so uh, finally I get the call says, yeah, yeah, come on in and meet so-and-so I come in and uh, I'm waiting in the outside the principal's office. And then finally I get the, okay to go in there and I go in and there's just this very stoic figure this manly man uh, and I, I'm just this little boy coming in thinking that like I'm you know uh, I've never been in the principal's office and so here I am really now like how does this work and I sit down and he kind of does this thing where he just leans back in his chair and, and it's so stereotypical like the image if you can paint this and he crosses his arms across his chest and he leans back and he just kind of looks at me and I'm just sitting there smiling and he go, and he just nods his head. He goes, all right. And I said, okay. He goes, yeah, I just wanted to get a look at you. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, that's great. And I said, so what's next? And he goes, yeah, hey, just go over to human resources. They'll take care of the rest. <laughs> and so I get back in my car and I drive, and I go to human resources and uh, they're like, yeah, okay, well, it's going to be a few hours. We got to process your whatever. And so I'm sitting in my car in the parking lot of human resources and it's like 3 4 o'clock. And finally I get the phone call and they're like, okay, uh, we're going to go ahead. You're, 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 you know, conditionally hired or, you know, whatever. And uh, we'll need you to come back on Monday morning. School starts at whatever time, be there by six 30. Uh, and uh, you'll get with uh, your mentor teacher. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what any of this means, but Either way, I had to jump back in my car, I'd drive all the way back to San Antonio. I had to actually pack a real suitcase in addition to figuring out where the heck I was gonna live. Um, and then I came back on Monday morning and, and there I was in a class full of kids uh, with uh, no experience whatsoever and no idea what I was gonna do with them for the entire day. But what I do remember with that experience was that I was smiling at the end. And despite all the probably terrible teaching and instructing that I and managing of behavior and all those things that I had that day, uh, I definitely came out of it uh, feeling really good about the experience. So all that uh, translated into uh, four total years at that campus. And then from there, I had a really great opportunity to, at that time, uh, transition to where I am today, which is Cypress Fairbanks ISD. And uh, I, I took a leap position at Cypress Woods High School and that was in 2009 and I stayed there till 2014 and uh, since 2014 I've been in my current role which is uh, secondary fine arts coordinator 
uh, with a couple different responsibilities, but theater being one of them, dance in addition to that, and then some leadership groups. And ironically, uh, PALS, which took, takes me back to one of those inspirational moments as, uh, as a young person in high school, uh, learning and developing. And so uh, that's kind of my story. I spent a lot of time on the front end there, not so much on the, on the end. No, I'm, that's, sure, I'm sure we'll fill it in. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And uh, I, I guess, you know, I've, I've, I, I know I've known you for a while now. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not best buddies or anything. We're not hanging out and grabbing drinks, which we should at some point, but, yeah, uh, but, but I didn't realize you've been in this position since 2014, like that last little fact there. I can't believe it's been, I mean, you're probably also thinking, man, I can't believe it's been that long, but you know, you know already yeah, it's, it's a while. So it has been a while. Uh, it's funny you bring that up. Cause, uh, my wife and I, we were looking at photographs for a project that we were working on. And yeah. I happened to find a photo that I took my first year in this job. And, you know, I was excited, new administrator trying to build the, the morale of the team. And I took like a selfie and everybody of the staff was behind me, like, you know, one of those moments. And my yeah. hair was completely brown. <laughs> and, and she just looks at me and she goes, your hair was so much darker. <laughs> so yeah since 2014 uh, it's gotten a lot grayer yeah you're like you're like i know sweetie i'm looking at the same photo like <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well that's that's funny so I, I wrote down a couple of things uh first of all i knew you weren't from texas but i didn't realize you were as traveled as you uh were i didn't realize you were a military uh family so but i so not being from Texas and being that military family, did that did that shape you at all as a theater person, an educator, an administrator? Like, did that have any effect on you? Maybe discipline or, um, you know, again, I'll let you I'll kind of stall a little bit so you can think about this. But personally, I never moved. My dad was a class clown. He was in radio. And so you can if you walk into my classroom that's very apparent, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's my background. Um, you know, it's uh, that, that jovial side, and I'm not trying to say you're not jovial, but you know, that, but, but being the, the, the story you had with your, how your first day of teaching went, that would be, uh, and I know you kind of said, I don't, you know, the, the discipline of my classroom, probably that day was probably not so great, but still there's an element of the military discipline probably had a had a, an, a a sort of impact on how you went about that first day and whether you think about that or not or thought about that or not I, I would venture to guess that maybe it had something to do with it I mean you can you can I'll let you have the floor now so <laughs> sure yeah. uh, so yes and no really right so I think sometimes there's this this idea that uh, military families or military kids in, in particular uh, grow up kind of in this environment where it's incredibly structured and it's yes sir no ma'am that kind of stuff and, and and to a certain degree I think that's that's a true statement and a true belief um, certainly respect was always routines were always important as well um, but I had two very different parents, even though my dad was, uh, you know, the, the professional on the military side, 
as a military family, you still live with a bunch of other people and other kids on bases or in base housing. And so it, it kind of is just a normal experience of growing up. I mean, you go to sometimes if you didn't go to a school on, on a base, uh, you went to a regular public school uh, that was in the community that the base was where you were stationed. Um, and, and so that being said, my dad has always been, he's like where I get kind of my analytical side uh, and my mom is the creative side. Uh, and that's where I, I hope I can say that I've, I've gained some of that from her because uh, you know, the two of them really created an environment. I have two brothers uh, for us to really just kind of explore and be ourselves. I mean, things like playing sports was normal. Uh, those were things that we did. And when I say normal, it wasn't like an expectation, but it was an opportunity. Um, so we had that. Uh, I remember one time in base housing, uh, there would be these activities for, for the youth. They have a place called the Youth Center, which is where basically instead of the kids going out on the streets at night and getting in trouble, uh, we're going to funnel them all here to this place because it has things like pool tables and foosball and, and pinball machines, right? And then they would do like game nights and stuff like that. And so we would go and sometimes there would be uh, creative things that we could do, whether it was a lip sync contest or uh, maybe it was, you know, you would do some type of sketch comedy or something like that. So I think that those experience really definitely shaped uh, and kind of connected me to some of those things that I ultimately, I can say, influenced my path. Uh, but as far as like the, the regiment, uh, it, it, you know, it was there sort of. Uh, I definitely never talked back to my parents until at least my dad was retired. Uh, once he retired, then I guess I could say, well, he doesn't, he doesn't put that uniform on and, and intimidate me so much anymore. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I directly answer your question. But no, that's. I mean, yeah, that's your answer is your answer. <laughs> You're allowed to do that. What, what, uh, what military, what was he in? What, what branch? Yeah. She was in the air force. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I don't think you said that, but I was just, uh, if you did my apologies, but nope, okay. I didn't say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so do you have any interest in flying? Like, was that ever a thing? So it's weird, right? So uh, we had a lot of opportunities and not every base that we either <laughs> lived on or were stationed next to um, was an Air Force base. Sometimes it would be an Army base and sometimes it could be what they would just call like a depot, right? And so it could be kind of a couple of different branches that would live there. And so regardless of where we were, there was always access to things like air shows. And that was huge. Like when an air show was on the base or, or in close proximity, we were there. And I think that that really helped grow this fascination with mechanics. Uh, and that kind of analytical side of me really was fascinated by those components. You would think after having access to all of that, that flying would be like a thing that I'm super excited to do. And it is by far not. I, I am terrified to actually be in a plane. Um, to the point where it's like, okay, so where is the Tylenol and the glass of wine, right? Like I need those two things stat so that I can forget that this flight is actually happening. Um, but uh, it was never something that was like, oh, I want to be a pilot, but I have a tremendous amount of, of respect and fascination for people who do uh, uh, 
you know, engage in that activity. Um, but strangely enough, if somebody like if Elon Musk were to show up at my door right now and be like, Hey, you're one of the four people who's going up tonight. Cause yeah. that's, you know, cause that's a thing right now. These civilians are going into space. I would totally sign up. And I don't right. know why that is. Um, I guess in my brain, I have said, well, that's different than flying because you're kind of <laughs> you're not yeah. necessarily like parallel to the ground. You know, you're a little more vertical than that. So yeah, you're going away, not with. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, something about that fascinates me. So if I ever had a chance to not do what I'm doing and, and go back and start all over, I would definitely probably uh, try to become an astronaut. Do, do you think the Elon Musk thing is like the new Ed McMahon thing? Like he's going to come knocking on the door to say, you've just earned the opportunity. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, as long as he shows up with like those cool spacesuits signed yeah. up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of guys that try to forget things, but yeah, he, uh, you know, as we record this, I think that's happening like right now. I mean, pretty, or it just happened or something, but something like the, that, yeah, yeah the, those four civilians going up, but that's great. So uh, I'll, I'll get back to more current stuff in just a second. But when you were in Three Musketeers, you mentioned, and I don't know why this why this stayed in my head, but you mentioned that all you did was yell, you know, or and you you know that kind of thing. Or in hindsight, you probably think all you did was yell. Were, do you think you were directed to do something different? But all you wanted, you were just so excited to be bit by the bug, kind of thing, or was that just the the theater that it was and they were just like whatever i'm glad you're on stage not crying go do what you need to <laughs> you know, yeah kind I, of <laughs> you know i was probably that kid that they were like oh let's give this kid a chance to be in a play right yeah, and yeah. no matter how many different ways that he as a director probably tried to shape the way that i said these few lines yeah. and we all know what i'm talking about <laughs> at the end of the day you could hear me and you could yeah. understand me and check that box this kid is uh he's done everything that i i need him to do at least for, for the purpose of this performance i was just curious because yeah we've all had this kid so you're just like all right they're they're doing the the basics the things that we need them to do yep. <laughs> that's great yeah. uh so so you, you another thing that in in whether you, you know, Jim Johnson can probably pick up on some of this stuff. Uh, but you've been now, you've been a Texan, uh, you've been uh, a New Yorker, you've, what is it, what do they call a Wisconsinite? I don't know what they call it. Cheesehead. Cheesehead, I know, right? Well, yeah, but you, a, a Madisonian. Um, but uh, your accent, you don't have, you know, you've got that kind of similar to myself i mean kind of neutral you know if we wanted to turn it on we could turn it on kind of thing but uh do you do you ever find yourself shifting in from one to another or do you ever like get mad at yourself like dang it i can't believe i just said y'all or <laughs> i, know, I have or... embraced it no that, that <laughs> it, i am truly a, even though i even though i i fondly uh, and uh, unconditionally love uh, New York. Uh, and it'll always, you know, it'll always be there with me, a part yeah. of me. Uh, I am a Texan. And yeah. it took me a long time to admit that. Uh, but really, this is where I've lived the most. This is where most of my memories are. And uh, I, I don't know how I've been able to refrain from catching any type of dialect. <laughs> I, I guess primarily, I mean, because when you think about it, like, I mean, San Antonio, I mean, it's a very diverse city. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but again, it's a military city too. And so uh, it was almost like when we came from kind of upstate New York, Pennsylvania, because we lived there as well, you know, it's kind of just, you're taking that experience and you're just putting it now in basically the Southwest, right? Or, or the South. And uh, there were a lot of people that, you know, were identified with and, and, yeah. and, and, and so I don't know if that somehow just influenced the fact that I don't really have one. Um, yeah. But every now and again, I'll catch myself and some, a little bit of New York will come out just a little yeah. bit. Cause <laughs> upstate New York and New York city are two totally different oh, yeah. places. Yeah. What have you, when was the last time you moved? Uh, well, I mean, in a house, like house, like houses. <laughs> yeah. Just two years ago. So okay, I, was, I, was gonna, <laughs> I feel like, because like I never moved until I was, I don't know. Uh, well, I guess I, I technically moved to a dorm for a couple months at same Houston, but I left same Houston quickly and went back home, but, uh, you know, really moved out of the house until I was 24. So, and you moved, <laughs> you know, by the every time you were years. 24. Yeah. yeah right. Every, so, yeah. And, and that's, that's, and yeah, that's actually a part of us. Like, um, my wife thinks we're crazy. Like we've, we've purchased a few homes since we've been married, yeah. Um, and lived in several apartments before that. And, and she's just kind of adopted this idea that that's normal for me and therefore it's <laughs> normal for her. Um, yeah. but it's not because like I'm dissatisfied or I need something different. It literally is just, that's the fabric of who I am. Yeah. Like my landscape changed so often that it's like not uncomfortable for me to just pack up and go to yeah. do something else. So yeah. the fact that we've lived in Cyprus now for, uh, 12 years, we've lived out here for 12 years. I mean, that's, yeah. That's a pretty good track record for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but to be fair, Cyprus has uh, grown immensely in 12 years. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, like probably just as, just as fast, if not at, uh, faster than Fort Bend, you know, where I came from. So mm -hmm. uh, it's Cyprus is blowing up. So just Bridgeland or right. No, uh, Bridgeland. Yeah. yeah. Bridgeland itself is an, is its own, town it's so I mean, it's getting there yeah they, we, we like to think we are uh, but the, yeah. we got a, we got a long ways to go it's it's massive so okay so uh when you got that first job uh in clear creek mm -hmm. um you you sort of mentioned the desperation thing and maybe that is the truth but was there something you think uh that the principal saw in you that or, or read on a resume or knew from some sort of information? Do you, do you think there was something other than desperation that the principal, you know, because desperation can only go so far. If you have a criminal record, they <laughs> right. still are probably not going to hire you, you know, but uh, even if you're charming. But uh, what is it that you think maybe they they kind of found in, in, in Tim Estelle? Yeah, so... What I didn't talk about uh, in great detail. So prior to that, like I said, we were, uh, or rather I was in Tucson and doing an artistic internship. Yeah. And one of the last elements of that internship was working in the education department. And so um, that experience has been uh, pretty much foundational in why I actually right. follow through with becoming an educator because working with students in that capacity as a representative of a professional theater but watching them engage with the art as students, uh, and mainly we work with students in high school. And 
listening to them and the questions that they would ask and then the responses that they would make towards the art or the, the whatever it was that we were working with them on, uh, that to me combined with, uh, while at SFA, they had a high school theater workshop and I yeah. always worked yeah. that with the exception of my, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of undergrad, I worked that every summer after that, even after I graduated, I did it that final summer before I was hired as a teacher. And I think those experiences kind of help state my case a little bit, because right. even though I had that as experience in working with high school students and I was vying for a high school job, I, I hope that my passion came through, uh, right. articulating why those experiences were so important to me because they truly were. Um, and some of those kids, not only in the Arizona uh, experience, uh, I hope they're doing well, but uh, definitely some of the ones that came through that high school theater camp at SFA, I'm still connected with today as adults. Right. And, and it's just, it's very powerful, you know, when you make those connections and those relationships and you can do it through something that you mutually have a passion for. Yeah. And I'm preaching to the choir here to everybody listening, but uh, you know, I think all that to say when I was able to just kind of share that with that individual who was uh, ultimately hiring me and why that's so important to me when I interview people to hear that from my side now uh, if you can do that for me and you can show me that you're going to love and take care of kids, then I, I, we can we can help you become a stronger teacher. If you don't have yeah. those tools or maybe that knowledge base yet, I can help fill in some of those gaps with some really great resources and, and the expertise of our colleagues. But uh, if you don't care about what you're doing and you're just showing up for that paycheck, then uh, there's plenty of other places that I can recommend that aren't us. Yeah. So. A couple of two questions out of that little bit, and you don't have to name names in this one, but do you have teachers in SciFair right now that were students of the camp um, that you know of, or do you have, or were there teachers that came out of, out of that, that you, that you still keep in touch with that may not be in SciFair, just around? So I'd have to really dig in my brain. So the answer, okay. the short answer is yes to, are there yeah. teachers from that experience? The short answer is yes. Yeah. Um, do we have any in our district? No. However, okay. uh, we definitely have homegrown teachers. So we have yeah. uh, folks who have gone through our school system and have come back to work for us. And to me, having started my life in a smaller town, you know, rural New York and Pennsylvania is, is uh, well, it's smaller, right? And then you come to a place <laughs> like SciFair and we have 116,000 students and we only have 50 some odd theater teaching positions yeah. and we get former students to come into those roles. That just to me is so uh, yeah. wonderful. Uh, and it says a lot about the community. It says a lot about uh, the culture of our district. Right. Yeah. You have a good district speaking as a, a former employee, not a former teacher as a former yeah. employee. I'll get the, to that in a second, but yeah, the Bear so, Center. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why are you spoiling it? Uh, so, <laughs> so when did you, when did you realize you wanted to, uh, get into administration? Like when was that kind of the, w when did you have that moment of, um, wow, this would be some, uh, a, a path that I would want to go on. Cause as an artist, you know, and I, and I'm same way, I, I have a master's in education with the path of administration, but as an artist, that's like almost the complete opposite of where, how our mind is trained yet some of us do it. And I probably am speaking for you a little bit is based on advocacy. We want to, 
We want to create a world where you understand, and not you, but other people that don't understand kind of our world and why it's important and et cetera, et cetera. But when did, when did you kind of have that moment of realization that you wanted to, to follow that path? Yeah. So I, I'll be completely honest and becoming an actual administrator was never anything on my radar. Wasn't, right. wasn't a professional goal. Um, it was something that I knew that if I wanted to do that, the pathway that I took to get what many people call your, your mid-management degree, right, or certificate or go through yeah. a master's of ed program, obviously that's a stepping stone to that. For me, it was 2011 or 12, and uh, there was an opportunity. So one of the great things about our district, much like Fort Bend did this and does this as well, and several other districts in our area, there's a lot of great partnerships with universities. And yeah. so one of those partnerships at that time was with uh, SFA, and it was through the education department. And so obviously, I had already had the experiences in undergrad with the university, really, you know, really enjoyed my, my time and experience with that. And so I just went to the informational meeting about the Master's of Ed program with the intention of getting a, a license to be a principal. And so went to that, felt really good about the direction that that program could take me. And so I, I, I knew I could not commit to a traditional master's program. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to stop my job. Um, it just wasn't realistic for me, although I know it is for some folks. And so it, it felt like a really great time in my career because I felt really grounded where I was at Sidewoods High School. I had a really great colleague that I know could, uh, you know, pick up my slack because I was definitely going to have a lot of it going through that program. And I just dove right in. And next thing I know, two years later, I've got it. And um, I, that was it. I thought I was done. I had learned, I had absorbed more information. I felt like I had a new perspective on the next wave of what education could be for me, not only as a teacher or as a, a theater practitioner, but just as an educator and I, you know, school wrapped up and it had been years since my wife and I had gone on a vacation. And so we booked a cruise and we were in Alaska and I get a phone call and it says, Hey, we have this opportunity. They're creating this position. I'm like, what? They're what? They're creating what? And they're like, yeah, they're creating this position specific to theater. And to answer your question more directly, the way it worked for us in terms of like support at the central office or at the central administration we didn't really have a person there much like some of our other disciplines did at the time. I mean, we all know that music has had strong support for a very long time. And so there's always been an advocate in the office for them. Yeah. But since we were kind of lumped into academics at large, um, we had a really great support system from a person that was working on the campus I, I taught at. Um, but she didn't have a theater lens, right? She had, it was kind of baptism by fire. She was literally learning the discipline with us while she was doing her, her full-time job as being a director of the entire campus's instruction. And so she was the one that actually said, hey, they're creating this. I think you should try it. You know, you should maybe throw your name out there. And so I thought about it and I did. And, you know, that was in the summer of 2014. And, you know, I, I left the school in May thinking I'd be back I didn't. I didn't go back in August because I was in an office in July. Yeah. And so I say all that because, again, it, my goal was not to do that. 
I was yeah. very satisfied being a t uh, in my teaching position and in my, in my role as a, as a fine arts, uh, a part of the fine arts program at the campus I was at. I had a fantastic campus administration, great colleagues, great students, great community. Uh, I'd be a fool to give it up unless yeah. there was something that could help me uh, maybe do something else that would, would advocate and work, uh, you know, for people. And so this job kind of sold me on that. Yeah. So how was that Alaskan cruise? Was it, I mean. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> Until I had all these nerves about, oh my gosh, now I have to like interview yeah. for a job. How do I even do that? It, so, so I watch, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, fan of uh, the deadliest catch. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, can, I, whenever somebody says they go on an Alaskan cruise, all I imagine is, being on a crabbing boat, <laughs> you know, going through the Bering Sea and just <laughs> just treacherous waters. Yes, it was exactly that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They put you to work. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that'd be great. So, okay, so cat uh, came out of the bag a little bit with uh, you know I I we I guess we kind of just crossed paths. I wouldn't say we became friendly or friends by any means when I was at the Berry Center because. Uh, I guess I can say it now, it's statute of limitations, but I use the Berry Center as uh, a bridge between tours of Straight No Chaser. And uh, now that said, that that gig became, um, I mean, I ended up working at the Berry Center longer than I worked at Straight No Chaser in various capacities. But as the th theater manager or whatever, I, I don't remember what my title was, but um, I was there for a little bit and you, uh, my first interaction with you was through one act play because they would host one act play contests there, a couple of di different uh, zone districts, um, et cetera. But, uh, and you came through and all I remember from you and, and maybe this is insulting, but it's just all I remember from you is you had a, you, you wouldn't leave your backpack. You had a backpack on <laughs> like, like it was, it was almost like it was a, sh a turtle shell attached <laughs> to you that, that you couldn't part with. And so I have to know, like, like what was in the back, like, what, like what was, it wasn't an iron lung by any means, but you know, what was <laughs> It was probably just some like a comb like and like, tape. Yeah. <laughs> find nothing important. That's so funny. That's so funny. You're right. Yeah. I never took that stupid thing off. I still yeah. don't. I still carry yeah. a backpack. Yeah. So when you got the job, when you got this job that you're in now, it's like the guy with the backpack got that job. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wonder what was in the backpack. Though. Yeah. So all my secrets. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So anyway, but that's that's what I remember about you. I do remember in the the analytical side and also seriousness you, you mentioned that you get the analytics from your dad and uh sort of the creative side from your mom and I, i'm the same but opposite so uh i get the analytics from my mom and the creative from my dad i think just from what i remember from your shows and from your scenery you could see the creative analytics if you if you know what i mean like there was there was a certain um type of of structure and way of the way you always went about your uh the way you treated your students in a good in a positive way not like a net you know and that you weren't waterboarding your students by any means oh, no. but but you know yeah yeah but you know but i mean there was there was this still and and i didn't know anything about the military i didn't know anything about you but i could tell that there was a structure to how yeah. you did things and you appreciated that and your students 
whether they appreciated it um, before UIL, they definitely had bought in by the time they came to compete. And so you're one of two people that I've ever seen kind of do that. And it's always worked. Um, so it, was that something you consciously made an effort to do to build in that sort of, and I don't, I, I, I don't want to say militaristic cause that's kind of a negative, that puts kind of a negative, uh, uh, flavor on things, but that sort of just structured, not as loose, if you will, was that kind of a, 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 a conscious effort on your part as a director? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it kind of goes back to your earlier question about how maybe that influenced a little bit. Yeah. So um, I, I was big on uh, planning. I was big on agendas or I was big on um, process. And so um, it was important to me to convey to the students that if we presented ourselves in a very certain way, um, not to say that like everything that we did was very um, intentional because obviously, you know, kids are kids and, and they're going to have to have opportunities to be themselves yeah. in that environment, especially when they're vulnerable in a situation like UIL, where you're trying to get ready for all of this. But the structure came in because I thought, in my opinion, it helped the students become more successful. And by that, it presented them in a way to other people. So you're kind of affirming that a little bit, at least for me. Um, that if you looked at our group, you would say, well, I think they know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And we may yeah. not have known what we were doing, but yeah. at least we were going to look like you're it. acting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also important to me that because not only, not only are we a reflection of the program that we're there, you know, to, to produce, but we're also a reflection of our school and we're a reflection yeah. of our communities. And, and to me, that's so important because I don't ever want somebody to look at something that I had a little bit of influence over, or even today, uh, I don't want anybody to look at any of our programs in our district and have something negative to say about them. Uh, you may not necessarily like the way that we do things, but that I'm okay with that. If you do, if that's that's very subjective, right? But yeah. if you have something that is objectively negative about something that I was responsible for or something my colleagues are responsible for, uh, that's very personal to me. And so it was so important to have a little bit of that structure built in because it prevented that from happening to the kids that I cared the most about. I didn't want anybody to ever create a negative impression of who they were as a person. Uh, I wasn't going to be responsible for doing that for them. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was that was profound. And usually I would end the conversation there. But <laughs> I want to I have one more question for you. Sure. Well, I have two more. I have two yeah. more. This I'll, one's more fun. The other one is is not as well, it's not not fun. But do you miss like acting? Do you miss that side of things? Uh, the, the 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 experience you had in college and then in Arizona? And uh, by the way, I wore this purple today because you know, Axon go Jacks. Jacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, oh, Axe and Jacks. That's what yeah, I meant to like, say. Yeah. Go Jacks. Anyway, <laughs> go, I'm so stupid. Anyway, but, for a cereal. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, Apple Jacks. Yeah, yeah. Good cereal, but uh, not, not, they don't sponsor this podcast. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, do you, do you like miss that, that sort of, uh, that feeling you had when you were shouting in Three Musketeers? Do you miss that at all? Uh, no. 
Um, okay. I'll be honest. I, acting was never going to be the thing that I pursued in this career yeah. field. Um, it was something that I think I enjoyed and I, I appreciated the, the elements and the work that went into it, but yeah. by no measure would I have been able to hold my own in that world. And I, I realized that uh, pretty early in my college uh, undergraduate career, but because I was trying to get a degree in it, I needed to follow through. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. But uh, what I will say is what I, what I do absolutely miss, uh, even still today, is being in a classroom. Right. Um, that to me is where I'm most comfortable. That's where I feel like I've done, again, in my opinion, some of my best work, not to yeah. say that hopefully I'm not doing terrible stuff right now, but, uh, if, if, if you asked me that question, the answer would be, uh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I miss that every single day. So, yeah, I mean, you can only be cast as the third tree from the left so many times before you realize that dream is probably not going to be a reality, but so you miss the classroom. Uh, do you ever get the chance to kind of, and again, this wasn't the last question, but you went there. Uh, do you ever, do you ever get the chance to kind of, uh, do, I mean, with T-tests and things like that, are you able to, I know you go in the classroom to evaluate, not on the T-test level, it's like Travis did for us, would just go in and kind of give some feedback, some uh, good constructive criticism, but would, do you ever get to workshop or like, do you ever say to one of your directors, Hey, would you mind if I taught a lesson on X, Y, and Z or whatever it is? So I don't go into their classroom and ask them uh, that question specifically. Um, although you've given me an idea, but now some of them, if they, if they're listening or will listen, they're going to be like, no, <laughs> they're going to not even unlock their door. Um, but uh I, I, when I go in, let's just put it this way. So I do not serve a formal observational role, much like you said, I go in and sometimes uh, if a teacher meets me at the door and we you know, exchange pleasantries, all I say to them is I'm here to hang out. That's my phrase. And so if my teachers are listening, you ever hear me say I'm here to hang out, I'm legitimately there to do that. And part of the reason is to fulfill two purposes. One is to fulfill my own selfish need to be back in a classroom, right? Uh, but two, it's because I'm not in there as, a, as I'm not there to get anybody, right? Because I'm already confident that because you're in the room, we've already made the right choice before I even came in the room, right? Because we made that choice to, to place you, if I had some influence on that, uh, in, in that room. Or if you've been there before I've been in this role, then somebody else had that confidence in you. So I'm not there to get anybody. Uh, I'm there simply as a support system to check in with the kids and make sure that they're enjoying their experience in a theater classroom. Um, and then certainly from an evaluative point of view, I, I wanna make sure that we're teaching the objectives that are required to be taught. Uh, and so if, you know, obviously if we can do those things, then all I need to do is hang out because yeah. that's happening all the time in every single classroom that I get to go into. Well, and like, and, and you know, this is one of the things that uh, I appreciated from a Travis Springfield and a Philip Taylor, especially is whether you are the best at what you do or I'm the best at what I do doesn't mean that we don't still have room for improvement. And sometimes it takes that second set of eyes to help you realize, oh, maybe next time try this or try that or whatever. And, and, a lot of times that's actually the case and it, and it, and it works. It's again, like you said, I, I love how you said, 
somebody's already, whether you hired them or not, or it was before your time, somebody has thought you were worthy of that job. So why, why should we try to get you out of that job? So yeah, it's uh, uh, good on you. That's, that's a good, good, good philosophy. And I hope other, you know, not just with Cypher, I'm assuming Cypher is okay, but in Fort Bend and, and places like that, but uh, and even Dallas with Rachel and, and with mm-hmm. Jackie up north, you know, there are certain districts that don't have a Tim Estelle, that don't have a Philip Taylor, Philip Morgan, a Travis Springfield, that those people might feel like they're walking on eggshells all the time because they don't have somebody there like you all to help support that classroom uh, yeah, and understand that, that. So Yeah, somebody that gets it, right? Yeah. So, okay, so last question. Um, you you have talked to a lot of people to to as perspective uh, uh, teachers in your district. Uh, I don't want you giving any details at all, but I've asked this of college people, and I want to I want to try to phrase it similar for you. But for college uh, uh, professors and like a Jim Johnson, uh, a Cleo House, people like that, I've said to or an Aaron Brown, I've said, hey, what is it that that uh, we are missing as high school educators that you want to see us do a better job of to prepare college kids for, or, you know, high school students for college. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to know something from, uh, you know, you've been in this job for almost 10 years now. Uh, we'll, we'll round up. I know, <laughs> but that's, uh, <laughs> great. that's very generous of you, <laughs> but you know, we'll just assume you get there, but we'll, we'll round up to 10, but we, you've been in this job long enough to be professional at it, right? They say three years or more. And is there something that you would love? Um, uh, I will talk, we'll say a new teacher. I don't want to say a veteran or experienced teacher, but a new teacher, uh, is there something that you would love to see them kind of either forget about like, Hey, it's okay that you aren't, this or that, uh, we want to see you do focus more on this side of the interview. And my dogs are barking in the background and I apologize. I don't, they're probably barking at a, uh, the air. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, is, is there something that you, you would love to see that new teacher kind of say, Hey, it's okay. Relax. Like, uh, let's focus more on the art. Let's focus more on, uh, the classroom skills, the, the pedagogy element. I don't need you to tell me how you were you played bell in your high school production of Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. But again, I'm stalling just to kind of, cause we never, I don't I never prep my people for the questions I'm going to ask. So, um, you know, I want you to kind of speak on that and end on that as well. So. Sure. So obviously I'm only going to speak for myself because somebody may have a different perspective and a different response to this. For me, uh, with a new teacher coming in, uh, wanting to be uh, in one of our schools, I think, again, for me, what's most important is that uh, they understand that they are going to be recommended for hire to first and foremost be the teacher of the classes that they're responsible for. Um, obviously we're also looking for somebody who's going to be able to come in and create a really dynamic and, and engaging, uh, extracurricular. Some people may, will use the phrase co-curricular, but extracurricular activity where students can then use kind of this lab to expand on the things that they're doing in their classroom. But often, well, I I shouldn't say often, sometimes I'll get, uh, 
you know, maybe somebody to come in uh, who's very excited about the artistic component of their job and discounts all the stuff that happens between 7.20 a.m. and 2.50 p.m., right? And that's a lot of kids to not think about uh, before we get to the end of the day where maybe we have 30, 40, or 50 of them in that, in that extracurricular component. So I would always encourage new teachers when you're coming in, remember your main reason, right? Your purpose there is to be an educator and you're going to be able to do that so well uh, through your productions because you're gonna have those crop of kids that really wanna absorb that information but there also may be one of those kids or two of those kids who exist in one of your classrooms who just haven't had that potential tapped yet. And if we don't even think about them as somebody who has the same potential as the kids after school, then we're going to lose them the minute that we get them. And so I really, and I really always keep that at the front of their perspective when they are, uh, you know, thinking about where it is that they want to work. And then secondly, I always, I always, tell new teachers who are interviewing. Remember the interview works both ways, right? Like I'm looking for somebody who's gonna take care of our programs and our schools and our kids and our communities. I need you to affirm that you believe me, right? Cause if you don't think that I, I'm telling you truth or you don't get a good vibe from me or from our district, then it's not a good fit. And it's okay if you go a separate direction, I can accept that, right? Cause it's gonna be a lot harder if you try to fight against that feeling that you have, accept a job because as you said earlier, like you kind of need that paycheck, right? Even though you're gonna wait two months before you get that first one and uh, you're miserable and you don't like it or you don't like whatever, or you just, you know, so those two things are really, really important to me. And we see sometimes in other disciplines, not theater specifically where some, some university programs, and I'm not naming names and I'm not calling anybody out because I don't think I have a right to do that, but uh, sometimes the training in those programs has made all this, they are worthy of being our performers or in the performance uh, environment. And that teaching is that secondary thing, right? And even though earlier I, I said, you know, pick up some of those education classes, have some of those uh, in your back pocket. I mean that in terms of having that as a tool or a resource that you can use regardless of whether you pursue teaching or not. But I think that we need to maybe make sure that those kids in those university programs, uh, regardless of what the artistic discipline is, understands that teaching is not selling yourself out and teaching is not secondary to anything else. It can absolutely be primary and it should be primary because if you know your craft or know your art so well, then you should be able to walk in any classroom in this world and be able to teach it without any question and be really good at teaching it. So those are things that I hope that, that yeah. new teachers will, will keep in mind as they come in. Minor wisdom.